Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm Jordi, and I use she, her pronouns. And today I'm joined by romance author Allie Hazelwood. However, in addition to being an author, Allie also has her PhD in neuroscience and has been a professor. Our conversation today is going to revolve around women in STEM, Allie's experiences in the field, and its influence on her romance novels. Allie, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. So like we mentioned, you have a PhD in neuroscience and you've been a professor. Could you share what some of your challenges and triumphs have been in the STEM field and in education? You know, it's it's so fun that you ask this because looking back, I can remember the challenges very well, but I'm like, what, what were the highs? <laughs> but um, I mean, uh, um, the, the challenges are just, uh, um, I would feel, I feel like, you know, in whatever field, STEM uh, is, is one of them, but like whatever um grad school is intrinsically very difficult and very hard it's just an environment that i think is sort of built to make you doubt yourself because you're constantly um comparing yourself with the people around you and wondering whether you're not smart enough whether you don't really belong there whether you're stealing the spot of someone who's better than you like it's a constant uh noise in the back of your head so i, I would say like imposter syndrome uh, and just general insecurity were my biggest challenge throughout my grad school. And then, you know, it, it gets even worse the higher you get. <laughs> like once you actually have a PhD, you're like, did I steal this PhD? <laughs> did I like steal the job of someone who actually deserved to be a professor? And uh, so that that definitely was. Um, yeah, I, I would say the biggest challenge for me was just kind of feeling like I belonged where I was. Um, the... I would say that the highlights for me of, of being in STEM were the times where I truly felt like I was doing something that I loved and that I was making the world better for it. Um, and this usually happens when, you know, you're on a study and then you have a finding or you even have like a null finding, but you're like, okay, there was this question that no one has answered before. And here I come and I have answered this and I am putting it in a paper and I'm publishing that paper and maybe only 25 people in the world will read the paper but uh it, it just you feel so cool and powerful because you have provided an answer to something that just hadn't been answered before and uh, um this is you know sometimes it's it's literally something a question that is super small science is very incremental like not every discovery is groundbreaking and changes the landscape of science but like even the little small thing that is only of interest to people who study your specific topic is is just such a win so I would say those were my favorite moments I can only imagine what a sense of accomplishment that must feel like like that's just incredible to have done that and how did you work through those feelings of you know either not being good enough or through imposter syndrome so what I found is that the best way uh, to 
to deal with imposter syndrome for me was to talk about it and talk about it with other people around me. I had several uh, friends in grad school that I really trusted. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm thinking about my friend, Rachel, who was in my lab and I would go to her and I would tell her, you know, I'm like, I, I think our, our PI or the principal investigator of our lab, I was like, I think, uh, uh, they made a mistake by hiring me. Like, I, I think this is wrong. And uh, um, just having someone who's external who tells you, I feel like that too sometimes. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about because uh, I have these feelings as well and I have to work through them. Like for me, just knowing that I wasn't alone and that it wasn't something that I was carrying by myself was, was great. Um, there are also just... Uh, uh, there are online communities, uh, um, you know, where grad grad students just go and and complain. And some some of them, like for example, at the time when I was in grad school, I was uh, very much into Tumblr, um, and which was you know like up uh, till you know, five six years ago, really. <laughs> and I love Tumblr, and there were you know like these. There was a whole thing, like a whole community on Tumblr of people who were being very honest online about their feelings of like. Uh, I'm not adequate. I'm not good enough. It's so nice to know you're not alone. And when someone that you respect tells you, I often feel like I'm not good enough, you kind of get to, you understand that maybe it's not that you're not good enough. Maybe it's a system that's built to make you feel like you're not good enough. So that was just um, a good uh, kind of reality check for me. It's like, oh, okay. So maybe I should fight against these feelings instead of embracing them and crying in my bed. <laughs> yeah, I think having a sense of community and like opening up and sharing with people, it definitely helps work through a lot of different issues. So how have your experiences in STEM influenced the women you write about and the stories that you tell? Yeah, so, you know, I started writing through fan fiction. It was very much a hobby for me. And I was writing about women in STEM because I was a woman in STEM and I just really needed an outlet that wasn't, you know, writing about science and scientific papers. But also at the time, my entire world was STEM. Like I, I started, I wrote my first fictional thing when I was uh, um, in uh, in my dissertation semester. So I was incredibly anxious. My entire life was, you know, the studies that I run for my dissertation and writing them down and like the panic of, am I doing this right? And uh, it was just so much fun to take something that I enjoyed a lot, like fandom and characters uh, that I loved and sort of like transfer them in an environment that was similar to mine and having them kind of make jokes about how ridiculous academia can be or having them express the feelings that I felt. And uh, so that's that's kind of how it started for me. It was this uh, very cathartic, uh, kind of therapeutic uh, writing that I was doing. And uh, um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I really love doing that. And I was writing literally like Star Trek, Star Wars fan fiction, but I would build alternate universes in, in which they were scientists and stuff and uh, in which you know some of them were just really you know they felt even like do you think Spock will ever feel inadequate and you know it's like exploring this stuff through fiction it was so much fun and then 
part of it is that it's really what I know. Like m- most of my life has been spent in academic settings, in uh, um, in STEM academic settings. I <laughs> it's harder for me to write an office romance than it is to write a romance in a lab because I haven't really spent much time in an office and I'm like how does that even work like what 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 does a person walks into the office in the morning and what what's the first thing that they do I don't I'm not sure I know that but I know what the first thing is that you do when you walk into a lab so it was really very much for me of write what you know type of thing even though maybe I don't know very much about you know physics because I'm not a, a physicist I'm a neuroscientist I so writing about physics physics still requires me to you know, I have to do research about physics, but I know the specific feeling of being an academic and the specific panic of you know I have to publish, I have to get a good job, I have to you know I have four classes that I'm teaching, I have to grade, um, I have to show everyone that I am worthy of being in this department. So I know that specific feeling. So that was it. it was easier for me to write about that than about uh, I don't know anything else. I would say. Well, I'd like to add that after I read your books, I feel like I've gotten smarter and I feel like I'm (laughs) STEM adjacent. Like I know what's going on (laughs) and it's so much fun. It's it's so fun. Someone on, I made a post on my Instagram and someone said, I I watched Oppenheimer and I understood uh, uh, the whole conflict between theorists and experimentalists because I read your book and I was like, this is literally the reason I was put on this earth, on God's green earth, to prepare people for Oppenheimer. I'm so proud of myself. I am obsessed with that. That's amazing. And I know. I know. Yeah. And speaking of your newest book, Love Theoretically, the main character, Elsie, struggles with setting boundaries and puts everyone else's needs before her own to the point where she molds herself to whatever version is needed in the moment for someone else's convenience. What advice do you have for people who may be struggling with taking up space and standing up for themselves, especially in environments where it's easy to find yourself being pushed to the side? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, uh, it's so hard to give advice because really everyone's situation is sort of different and there are different reasons why you are being, you know, marginalized and pushed to the side. I, I would say that for me, what has worked well was kind of going back to what we were saying, finding community and talking to people who are feeling the same, um, you know, being like, I, I remember, you know, my friend, I had a specific friend in grad school where we would have reality checks and we were like, okay, um, do you think that in that lab meeting, people were being dismissive of me more than they would have been uh, of someone else? Let's talk about this. Like, so there were definitely um, moments where not having people that I could trust would have made it like sort of impossible for me to go on. And just having someone that I could talk to and who could help me work through things was the reason that you know I stuck around because I thought about dropping out of my PhD program several times in the first couple of years just because I was like I cannot do this this is impossible (laughs) I I, this is no I can't so I really just uh, um, again I just want to emphasize how building community is uh, truly everything Um, 
having just a network of people who support you and uh, who I feel like sometimes uh, we don't see things as they are because uh, of uh, our issues. Uh, you know, I mean, I have a lot of anxiety, for example, and that definitely interferes with my perception of reality. Like sometimes I will be catastrophizing. I will be thinking everyone hates me. The world hates me and I'm the worst person to ever live. So, and, and this is, you know, this comes, it's, it comes with the territory with being an anxious person. So having someone that you can run this stuff by is just priceless. Um, I know it's easy to say, find friends and grad school will be easier because, I mean, I, I had times where I, when I felt alone, uh, but there are a lot of resources. Uh, um, there are a lot of like women in STEM uh, um, and uh, women of color in STEM organizations uh, uh, in campuses. And I uh, honestly, I, I thought those were just, priceless and uh, um, amazing resources to find friends and community and people who are like-minded. Yeah. Yeah. Community, like we've said throughout this entire episode, yeah. is, is really huge. And sometimes it can be hard because you go into a lot of these situations and environments semi-alone. And so kind of figuring out who you can trust, who you can approach, and who's being honest and genuine is another hurdle in and of itself. All right, is there anything that you would like to talk about before we wrap up? I don't think so. Just uh, this was such a great conversation. Yeah, I loved it. I'm so excited. <laughs> Allie, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your experiences and advice with everybody. Uh, I'm so excited to read more of what you have to put out. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, Red Woman is a dangerous creature, creature.